My Wax Museum is a proud member of the Create Fine and is produced by Mecco Radio. Hey guys, real quick before we get into today's show, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Instagram page. If you go look up My Wax Museum on Instagram, the handle is just My Wax Museum, pretty straightforward. Before each episode, I ask each guest 15 questions. And those 15 questions get turned into little clips that I put on Instagram. They're available exclusively on Instagram. So you're going to have to go make sure you check those out. Steve Gamlin, actually, today's guest, has seriously some of the best, some of my favorites. So make sure you go to Instagram.com slash MyWaxMuseum or just look at MyWaxMuseum on the app. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of MyWaxMuseum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by Steve Gamlin. I have loved having Steve as a guest on My Wax Museum and previously on Broken Bulbs too. People talk a lot about being authentic, but Steve really seems to actually grasp that, and I think you'll hear that in this conversation today. And remember, after today's show, to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Steve Gamlin. Welcome to My Wax Museum. Thank you so much for having me here, Alex. Looking forward to a very cool conversation. Thank you. It is going to be a cool conversation. I hosted you previously, and I'm excited to just learn more about you personally as an individual. And of course, I start every episode off with how we know each other. Do you want to tell the brief story of how we got in touch? Yeah, man, I I read about you on a website called matchmaker.fm, and I said, this guy's got a really cool show a cool sound a cool style that fits my style roll with it have some fun and share some cool stories so i reached out and you said i think you would be a perfect uh whatever examples i had shared you go yeah it sounds pretty good from broken bulbs yeah and i think we've determined i've shattered about a case of a dozen or so over the years <laughs> in my At personal least. and professional life so here we are i i love it yeah so i hosted you on broken bulbs previously and i don't invite every guest on broken bulbs because like i mentioned to you otherwise my wax museum would just be <laughs> broken bulbs 2.0 uh and, but i enjoyed our conversation so much i thought i have to hear more about your story and and learn more about your experience and so going all the way back to the very beginning of Steve Gamlin, where were you born originally? Or I guess for the first time and only time you were born. Um, yeah, for the first time, I was born in a little town called Melrose, Massachusetts, which is about 20 minutes north of Boston. And I lived down in Mass for the first seven years of my life and been in New Hampshire now for the past 46. Oh, wow. Okay. So... I have interviewed people from uh, Massachusetts before, but never from New Hampshire. So tell me about your favorite things about New Hampshire. What I love about New Hampshire, it's it's nice and easy. We are within about 60 minutes of anything I would ever want to see. We're, we're about an hour from the ocean. We've got some concert venues. We've got some minor league sports teams that play here. We've got the fourth largest lake in America, about 45 minutes north of us. And if you go over another 25, 30 minutes after that, you've got the mountains. So we've got pretty much everything, small towns, lakes, six miles from where we live is the lake I grew up spending every weekend of every summer at when my grandparents owned it. And it's just the most amazing little lake. It looks so tiny now, but once in a while, it's not in the family anymore. So I just drive across the 
road on the other side of the lake. And I just look across and I said, man, I spent the best years, best days of my childhood right there. Interesting. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell me about those days. What, what did you get up to on the lake? Fishing, boating? What, what did you guys do? Um, we swam in front of the camp. We had, there was always a motorboat. So we, we learned how to water ski when we were fairly young. And we used to do that a lot. Uh, when we got older, my cousin got a faster boat. We used to go barefoot water skiing, which I don't encourage. Uh, I, I was joking last week. I said, as a motivational speaker, some people in my industry say they can walk on water. I can't walk on water unless the boat's doing more than 40. Then I can. <laughs> <laughs> and we also had a rope swing that as we got older, we would climb higher and higher and eventually got on the roof of the camp and would swing out and let go over the water. So it was, it was just the greatest. And my grandparents were just phenomenal people. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, did they, I mean, what, what was so phenomenal about them? Like you as a kid, what did you see in them that you loved so much? They were just so accepting of everybody. And, and there was one rule at the camp, bring all your friends and, and, they would just be very accepting of them. And it was very rare that somebody would show up and cause any trouble or get mouthy or anything like that. My grandmother's rule was always bring as many people as you want. We'll add a little more water to the soup and we'll make every hamburger smaller so we can make one more. And that was, that was Mem and Pep. They were on the French side. So it was Meme and Pepe were, uh, that was that set of grandparents. And I just love it. I, there's, there's not a single bad memory. Yeah. That is awesome. Of that. Yeah. Yeah. I I always love hearing about people's experiences with with their families. Uh do any particular experiences stand out to you as a moment where you kind of almost as a moment where you go back to and you just think about it and say like, yeah, that that was good. That was nice. Yeah. Uh so many at at the camp and at their home uh where I spent a lot of time as a kid. I remember one time when I was about 16 years old and my grandmother um unfortunately she passed away of cancer a, about a year later and i just remember one time i was i had no gas in my car i had no money and my grandmother had recently been diagnosed again that she was starting to get sick and she slid ten dollars across the table and she just looked at me and winked and she said just take it and even now at age 53 just that little loving gesture completely defines who she was. Uh, you know, bad times were coming for her. Things were tough. And she just saw me there struggling because I had no gas in my car. And she slid me $10. And that that still now is is really emotional for me because I've always held on to that memory. Like, Mem was just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And how how did that affect you going forward? Like, did that uh, have any impact her kindness in general did that have any impact on how you decided to see the world and how you decided to treat others going forward yeah i think especially my elders because she had seen the depression and and she had seen all these other things and you know being 50 ish i guess years ahead of me she knew more about people than i did she'd experienced more than i did so i always tried to especially with those who'd been around longer give them the patience, give them a listening ear, uh, help them out when I could. And, and I think it just, it, it was like a seed that she planted that day for 10 bucks, you know, a, a seed was planted. And now my family and I have our own little nonprofit dedicated to acts of kindness. It's called beach bum philanthropy. And that's one of the earliest 
kind acts that I remember that really stood out. I mean, they were great to us anyway, loved us to death, spoiled us rotten. But that one was one of the seeds where just somebody was in need and another person just said, here, take this and don't tell anybody, <laughs> you know, keep it, keep it anonymous, keep it between us. And that's a big part of what we do as, uh, as the beach bums. Now we try to, we try to get away with stuff. It's kind of like lighting a bag of, you know, dog poop and running. Well, it's, it's with a good thing <laughs> instead, you know, we try to get away with kindness and we laugh and we giggle and we're just so overjoyed when we can remain anonymous and get away with stuff. It's, it's kind of cool. Like Mem gave me that $10 and she said, don't tell anybody else. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think, uh, there, there's something about doing, doing a kind act and nobody else knowing about it and just saying like, yeah, just felt good. Just felt good to help somebody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really, really like that. As you kind of, grew up and and moved out on your own i'm curious about what that experience was like when you left home and you're an adult now where did you go what did you do uh let's see in my early 20s uh lived with one of my girlfriends for a little while and then that fell apart and i wound up moving back home for a bit and then i was in my radio years i wound up getting married was married for seven years that ended moved back home for a bit. <laughs> so, you know, I just kept landing back with family. But the part, the cool part about it was each time there was actually a reason behind it that wasn't the reason that I thought. Uh, after my divorce in the early 2000s, I had already built a recording studio, my first one, up at my dad's house. And then my radio career walked away from that, got divorced. And my dad said, well, you know, we just built the studio up here. He goes, you're up here working all the time. Anyway, why don't you just crash here for a while as long as you need to? And I, I wound up there for 10 years because I had no reason, I mean, to leave other than to, to do my work there. I was already there anyway. And about a year into me being there, my stepmom came to me one day and says, please don't think that you have to leave anytime soon. And she goes, I don't want to put any extra pressure on you, but with your dad's health, if you weren't here, we'd have to sell the house and that would kill him because he built it. That was going to be their forever home. And she would always say, I'm so glad you're here and your dad is too, because we'd have to sell the house if you weren't here. So that, I mean, I wound up there for 10 years. And then my Tina and I got together and she was out of state for a while. Then she was in Vermont for four years. And when she moved back here to New Hampshire, we got our place together. But otherwise it was just kind of a holding area. You know, why go pay for something else when I'm here working all day anyway, and I take care of everything in the house, in the yard, anything that lifted, anything that weighed over 30 pounds, I had to take care of because my dad's health, he had Parkinson's and he had some other health issues uh, before he passed. So it just kind of, you know, every time I landed back after some thing had blown up in my life, it was always, it was never that I was pitied, well, just come here for a bit. There was always a purpose that helped to salvage, you know, my self-esteem uh, to not just think I crashed and burned, blew it all to hell and, you know, had to move back home as a failure. I mean, there just, there was always this silver lining to it that I was valued for being there. And, and that did a lot for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think 
you know, we need, we need to be valued and it helps that, especially when something seems to be going wrong in our life, that, that there's something there where we're useful, where we're helpful, where we're strengthening somebody else, right? Just by being there. And, and so I'm kind of curious to hear more about your relationship with your family, because it sounds like it's, you know, really important, right? You've talked about your grandparents and at the lake and uh, you mentioned as well uh, in in our quick questions beforehand. You talked about how uh, you guys were holding up a toddler. Was that like a little sibling or something for for a picture? That was um, yeah. That was Easter. Gosh, when I was probably about four years old, and three of us were about the same age. You know, five five and four. And uh, one of the neighbor's kids was maybe eighteen months. And they were all holding him up. And when they snapped the Easter picture, the other three of us who could walk and run, walked and ran. (laughs) And we left this little kid just, he wobbled a little bit and then slammed right down his little airbag diaper (laughs) and started (laughs) screaming. (laughs) So, yeah, they they were cool neighbors. They were down in Massachusetts before we moved to New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like you have some, like, really cool memories with, with some really cool people. Do you have any particular memories of your father that stand out um, in in your relationship with him, particularly maybe when you were back living with them and, and helping them there? Oh, gosh, there's thousands. Uh, my dad and I were best friends. And, and since I was probably about 13 years old, you know, we didn't call each other dad or son. It was always, hey, bud, from the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you know, hey, bud. And we just called each other bud. And that was the the greeting in the in the exit of it was like aloha you could use it to say hello or goodbye it was a bud see a bud um god thousands of moments and memories with my dad Uh, we did carpentry projects together we listened to oldies music was a constant which i still listen to whenever i'm working with the tools um i think my favorite thing now with my dad is that he's still there um his he was a carpenter he had a amazing workshop in his basement and all the tools are now mine. Uh, many of them are still there. So when I go up to the house, cause my stepmom still lives there and I promised I would take care of everything. If I'm looking for something, I don't even look anymore. I just go down to the basement to the, the, uh, workshop and I go, all right, bud, where'd you leave it? <laughs> and I tell you what, there's already, I have documented 14 tools or items that he's led me to. And every time, you know, I'm doing something and I'm trying to figure out, I just look up and I go, all right, bud, how would you do this? And I get it. And I built this whole recording studio, would not allow anyone else to help right after he passed away. And I used all our tools and I listened to all our old CDs and nobody else other than electrical was allowed to touch it because Tina would be upset if I burnt down the house. So, you know, he, he, he's still here. My favorite picture of him is sitting over there on my desk here in the recording studio. So God, too many memories to think of one, but he's still here, which is great. And we laughed always, 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 always. We were laughing together. Yeah. It's uh, it sounds like, um, you know, through your tools and through the carpentry that you still do and through the things that you make, like you really keep that memory and that those moments uh, alive for you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I still talk to him all the time. And actually the the favorite memory since he was gone, he had this old plow truck. We called her Nellie 
And because he had a 450 foot driveway and every year he'd go, I don't know, but Nelly's going to make it. And I would always say one more year, one more year, one more year. About the second or third storm after he passed away, Nellie died right at the end of the driveway, blocking the driveway, a fuel line blew. She would not start. And I get out of the truck and looked up, but I go, really? <laughs> and I go, I could hear him now. All right, Mr. One more year. I told you your luck was going to run out. <laughs> <laughs> so the family loved that. I took a picture of Nellie and everybody texted back. They go, yeah, one more that. year. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> one more year. That's perfect. So one more year. I used to tell him, I said, look at all the money I saved you. I've been saying that for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that is yeah uh i love those little little moments where it's like okay okay <laughs> you know uh oh yeah oh i get little i get those reminders often and i love them hey guys alex popping in just at halftime to remind you to check out our instagram all you have to do is go on your instagram app our handle is my wax museum Pretty straightforward. It's just the name of the show. We're always posting cool things, cool clips that are exclusively available on Instagram. It's really fun and you're going to learn some really cool stuff about guests past, present and future. So make sure you check us out at Instagram.com slash MyWaxMuseum. Now back to the show. Maybe now looking more at your present, what's, what's going on for you now and where you're going now? Um, as we're kind of in the halfway point of the podcast, what, what's kind of your day-to-day -day look like? Like what does Steve get up to on a normal day? Regular day is just doing my best through, you know, the ongoing, the, the pandemic and the conditions and everything like that, taking all of my speaking, my vision board work that I do with my corporate clients, with individuals going through my courses and just continually updating and upgrading the digital platform that I've had to use to survive over the past year plus now and to just keep keep breathing more life into it and making it the perfect most 100% authentic extension of who I am uh, it's funny that we're on this conversation today I just went through a values um, not survey but kind of a, a study and an exercise over the past week myself choosing from a list of values uh, and then sending it out to some of my clients and friends and people I collaborate with and putting that all together and realizing that I'm doing exactly what it is I'm supposed to be doing the way I'm supposed to be doing it. I'll never compromise my integrity. I will never uh, rip anybody off to get the almighty dollar. Humor has to be part of everything I do. I make, I make it fun to work with me. Kindness is part of every day. And my enthusiasm for what I do has to stay at 100%, not 100%, but you know what I mean, to be consistently showing up, being enthusiastic about working with my clients. And that's what makes me attractive to the clients in a magnetic way that I work with. So every day I've got to breathe life into those four values. And it starts early. And there's a lot of laughter throughout the day as well. Um, and that's pretty much my whole day, every day. I love it. And uh, I do things kind of weird on my wax museum. If if a guest has something to plug or something to share, it usually ends up getting shared in the kind of middle-ish of the episode uh, just because we're talking about the present right now. We're talking about what's going on for you right now. And so real quick before we move on with other questions, where can people find you and uh, and some of the work that you do? 
You can find it all at motivationalfirewood.com. I've got all my my articles there. Uh, several of my books are there. And the Vision Board Mastery Program, which is the big thing that I work on with my clients, is there as well. So motivationalfirewood.com. Perfect. I'm going to have links to that down in the show notes. And uh, now that we've got the the plug out of the way, I feel like we can <laughs> we can ride on and roll on straight to the end of the show and just kind of enjoy this conversation. So with that said, um, what what are kind of the, the big things, I guess, on your vision board? What what are you seeing hopefully happening for you in the future as well as, you know, near or far? Uh, well, if I was like most of the motivational gurus in my industry, I'd have pictures of like Ferraris and mansions and yachts mm-hmm. and all that crap that's rented for their yeah. videos. <laughs> Thank cough, you. Cough, <laughs> eye roll. <clears throat> Uh, on mine, it's funny because I I focus on nine major areas of my life: uh, career, finances, physical health, emotional well being, relationships, connection, spirituality, ethics, morals, and values. And and then you can tag some material things on top of there. But what I do is is try to have some very emotionally connected visuals or some words. Like for example. Some people want to have a dream relationship, so they put up a picture of, you know, this super attractive male or female, you know, or a supermodel or something. And with me and Tina, my relationship goal is a picture of her foot with my hand on it, and she's wearing a pair of Bomba socks. Because every night when I'm done uh, with my work, or if she nudges me enough with her foot, I give her a foot rub. That's one of my favorite moments of the day. So that's you know things like that, very experiential versus just stuff. So my board is littered with hashtags and mantras and little words that keep me motivated. Um, you know, for, for every time I've wanted to write a book, I would just think of the title first and create a little mock-up of a cover. And then the rest of it would just come to me. And I just try to keep it simple, but very emotionally connected to why I want these things. I mean, I know why it's so important for me to have a picture of Tina's foot on the board because I love giving her a foot rub at the end of the day. Um, I, I love, we make dinner together, together in the kitchen together, at least four nights a week, every week. That's a big goal of mine. So I watch my schedule to make sure that I can do that as well. So it's, it's things like that. I've got a picture of a scale with the number 220 on it because that's my target weight for the end of the year. And I'm about two weeks from being able to go back to our gym locally. So I got to hit it hard because I've, uh, I've put on a few pounds over the past year. <laughs> the COVID-19 is within two of what it is. I think I put on 17 pounds. Um, so things like that, you yeah. know, it's, it's not a pile of money. It's not a bank vault. It's something that actually really means something to me in every category. I love that. I, yeah. Cause I, I feel like when I learned about vision boards in school, it was, oh, you want to go to France, put a picture of the Eiffel Tower on there, right? But you're talking about these moments, right? These things that just happen day to day. They're not these huge goals of, I'm going to have X by X, and this is going to be this, and that's going to be that. It's these, you know, who do I want to be, right? It sounds like it's it's more designed around the type of character you want to foster as an individual. And I think that's uh, fantastic and, and awesome. 
And that's very much a part of it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having the Eiffel Tower there, but oh, maybe yeah. you would love to have a conversation attempting French with the owner of a bakery where you're eating a croissant yeah. in Paris. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you've just got a picture of some French baker in a beret or a chef hat holding a croissant. And that could be the experience. That could be the biggest why you want to go to Paris, you know, or go to France or, you know, anything like that. It's not just the... Oh, somebody said one time, Steve, you should make a vision board starter kit. I said, why? She goes, well, I saw one on on uh, online. You could buy a vision board starter kit. And it has the fancy car in the house and all this and that. I go, I don't want any of that crap. I would never do a vision board starter kit. I mean, I'll sell you a piece of foam board and a glue stick, but I'm not going to tell you what <laughs> pictures to put on it. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be so individualized, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you made an excellent point by by saying and, and i say this often it's not just what you get or where you go it's who you become in the process that's a huge huge part of it yeah yeah i love that so as, as we lead into the final 10 minutes or so of the interview i want to hear who who are you becoming steve what what type of person do you want to see yourself as in the future i want to be that speaker and coach that everybody loves to hear from and loves to spend time with and looks forward to our monthly or twice a month call. I never want people to go, oh, I got to deal with Steve today. <laughs> I don't want to be that person. I will never sell you. Uh, I will never reach out to you trying to get you to extend the warranty on your car or any major appliance. I want to be so magnetic in what I do and bring the four values that I mentioned earlier to everything, whether I'm writing or doing a Facebook live or on a coaching call with my clients or just walking down the street and somebody happens to see me. I want to present the best of myself every single moment that I'm out there interacting with the world in general. And I've, I've said this for years. I'm the same person on stage, off stage, backstage, standing on the street corner or walking down the Captain Crunch aisle at the grocery store. I am, I am the same person in every single place. And I want to continue to do that everywhere I go, whether I'm on stage in front of 2000 people or I'm holding the door for somebody at the bank because they, they've got, you know, their arms loaded with boxes or envelopes and, and I want to make them laugh and feel honored. Yeah. In that moment. I like that. And and to anybody listening, I can attest that this is absolutely true with with Steve. Our conversations before we record, between recordings, after recordings, it's it's all it's all the same. It has the same energy and and it's something I really admire about you. Cause I know for me personally, I definitely I think, you know, I'm always kind and <laughs> try to be interesting but i definitely have a oh i'm recording now you know like turn it on let's go yep. and yeah. uh and so i really admire and appreciate your authenticity on and off mike i i think that's impressive um to thank you to to carry that consistency it it took me years to get here so so please don't think that it was just flip a switch and it was like this i mean i i spent the first eight of my 10 years on the radio not being on the radio because I, I did not have a radio voice. I did not have any confidence. And, and one day I just very authentically said, Hey, look, this is Steve, big 101.5, New Hampshire's classic rock station. <sighs> I may suck as a DJ, but if I just 
you know, you tolerate me reading the weather for the next 42 seconds, I'll play you a really good rock song. <laughs> and I just said the weather and I hit the song and my boss came in. He goes, why the hell can't you just be like that every time? He goes, that was the best thing you've done all week. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you were just being yourself. And that's where it started. That was even before me becoming a speaker. He said, just be yourself wherever you are, wherever you are, just be yourself. And, you know, it took a while it. as a speaker to be that authentic and vulnerable. But as soon as I did, that's that's where that all started. And how how do you do that? How do you, you know, force yourself? Because I think we're always thinking of the the outside perceptions of people coming at us, you know, uh, this, this is almost starting to sound like a Broken Bulbs episode a little bit, getting getting some <laughs> advice this way. But how, how do you do that um, and just authentically um, just be yourself and kind of forget about all these other, other factors where you're putting on a show and putting on a face for people? The day that it starts to become natural is probably going to start with a Broken Bulb moment. Uh, I, I got way more authentic on stage the day that I said something and I started at one side of the audience and I just made eye contact the whole way left to right, went all the way back right to left really, really slowly and still could not remember what the heck I was supposed to say next. And I just looked at them, flipped the chair around, sat on it backwards with my arms up on the back of the chair and said, you mind if I take a moment and share why I became a speaker? And at the end of the event, People came up and said, oh, my gosh, when you did that, that was the best part of it for me. Oh, my gosh, that was amazing. And I'm thinking in my head going, I only did it because I couldn't remember what I was supposed to say next, but I was just being real. And that's, that, I mean, that was early in my career. And that's the moment I always go back to. Just be real no matter what. And some people say, we need you to come out and yell and get people revved up. And said, so, well, then you might want to hire somebody else. Because I don't get up there and yell things that rhyme and have uh, strobe lights and fog machines and thundering <laughs> music. I mean, I'll follow Tony Robbins on stage. I have no problem with that because Tony's Tony and I'm me. Yeah. But if Tony introduces me on my way out to the audience, I'm going to say, all right, turn off the fog, turn off the music. I'm going to sit on the edge of the stage and share why I became a speaker. We're going to have an intimate conversation with 5,000 people. Yeah. And the day you can do that and just say, this is me, take me or leave me. Is going to be a really good day in your development. Yeah, I like that. And if if people are curious to hear more more of that story, you can go and listen to Broken Bulbs. Uh, that episode has not come <laughs> out yet. In fact, I don't even have a date scheduled for it yet. But uh, he's uh, Steve here is on episode seventy nine and episode one hundred six as well. So you can check those out. Um, Thanks for tying that in. Look at that, all that, all that synergy, right? Is what they call it. Everything coming yeah. together. I love it. <laughs> so it's so funny that I just authentically share these stories and I just, some people say, well, you've said that before. I'm like, I've said it a thousand times before, but I don't tell stories. I relive them. Interesting. That's why yeah. it's so natural. And it's a, a great lesson I got from a speaker named James Malinchak. He taught me that and I've never forgotten it. And it's part of your experience. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think those big lessons that we that we take something from, um, they they matter and and they're huge. And I think this is about a good place to wrap it up. We're reaching that half hour mark, and so I have one last question. Something I ask every single guest, uh, actually, surprisingly, from the very beginning of the show, I've asked everybody this question, and that is: at the end of your life, 
when you're looking back on all the experiences you've had up till now and the experiences you will have up to then at the end of your life and you're looking back on those what are the things you look back on with the most pride and satisfaction going for it with anything uh one thing i do not want to be is 90 years old sitting on a front porch with regrets um i predict i will be covered in scars i've already got plenty that i'm glad i went for it i'm glad i learned how to barefoot water ski i'm glad uh even though i i got hurt like after only a few tries <laughs> <laughs> hurt my back pretty bad uh, i'm glad when i raced motocross that i said if there's nobody behind me i'm going to try to clear this double jump and i did i wound up in the ambulance but i cleared the double jump <laughs> So I'm glad I went skydiving for a solo skydive after two tandems, even though my chute lines were tangled and I pulled the chute a thousand feet too low and the radio that I was supposed to turn on so they could tell me how to land, I forgot to turn it on and I crashed almost into the woods. I'm glad I did that. So I don't want to have any regrets. I just want to say, you know, I went for everything I wanted to do on my terms and none of it killed me yet. I love it. I really love it. And, uh, and, and hopefully none of it does kill you. Uh, hopefully you live to live to have many more of those experiences. Yeah. And I'm glad I became a speaker and I'm glad I answered that email so many years ago that the woman who is now my wife sent out of the blue. This has been an awesome conversation and I've loved hearing your experience, your life lessons, the things that you've learned as you've gone throughout. And with that, I just want to say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much. This was a blast. I love conversations like this. I never call these interviews. It's a conversation. And thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this one. And thank you, not just for listening to and supporting the show, but also for listening to the people around you. Remember to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco.